Welcome to Digital Health Frontiers, where we explore the cutting edge of healthcare technology, policy, and innovation, hosted by Mike Brandofino, President and COO of Caregility. Today, we're honored to have a distinguished guest, Dr. David Shulkin, whose career has been at the forefront of healthcare transformation. Dr. Shulkin has served in several key leadership roles, most notably as the ninth secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and prior to that, as the Undersecretary of Health for the VA. During his tenure, Dr. Shulkin made significant strides in expanding access to care for our nation's veterans through the innovative use of telehealth services. As a board-certified internist and a widely respected authority in the field of healthcare management, Dr. Shulkin's insights into the evolution of virtual care are both invaluable and timely. Please join us in welcoming Dr. David Shulkin to Digital Health Frontiers. Hi, Dr. Shulkin. Thank you for joining our podcast. It's great to have you. You have ex so much experience. I look forward to, to the conversation. Mike, it's glad, I'm glad to be with you today. So, Dr. Shulkin, based on your extensive experience, especially with the Veterans Association, how do you see the evolution of virtual care impacting patients across the U.S., particularly in underserved areas? Well, there's no doubt that this is a technology that's been around a long time, uh, was dramatically underutilized until the pandemic, and then out of necessity became essentially a mainstay of much of the way that we delivered healthcare. And uh, unfortunately now is uh, sort of coming backwards and people returning to the old ways. I think that what we saw in the pandemic and what we now know is, is that healthcare can be delivered uh, either in person or virtually, but the virtual option, when it's most appropriate, really does provide access to care to many populations that have struggled to get access to care, not only in rural settings, but those who have disabilities, those who have cost issues with transportation, and those that, uh, quite frankly, wouldn't be receiving care, like in telebehavioral health, if it weren't for the anonymity and the uh, convenience of being able to get care when and where they want it. You know, we, we definitely saw that during COVID, the, the extensive use of, of virtual care um, across many modalities, not just the, you know, the teledoc in your home kind of version. Um, with the extensions due to expire, you know, what are your thoughts on whether there'll be an action taken this year um, or your concern for the future of virtual care? Well, you're right, Mike. The uh, regulatory uh, relief that was given to telehealth has been extended only to December of 2024. That's important because it gets us past the election in November. And then I think that there clearly is an expectation that there's bipartisan interest in extending, if not expanding, this regulatory relief in telehealth. And there are many uh, bills that have been introduced in terms of the Telehealth Improvement Act. Uh, most of them have strong bipartisan support, but I think as most people see, it's a challenge to get almost any piece of regulation or law through Congress at this point, just because of the political nature and the divisiveness over, over so many of the key issues that, frankly, Americans just wish that Congress could work together on to get done. But uh, I do have confidence that 
these uh, regulations will not expire and go away, but that they will be uh, extended and, in fact, enhanced and improved to allow telehealth to operate in the way that, frankly, it contributes positively to American healthcare. Yeah, I think, you know, especially with the shortage of, of care providers, um, it really helped to, to allow cross-border use um, and, and people to really work across multiple uh, hospitals at the same time. So we hope that it gets extended as well. D during your time at the VA, um, I'm sure you learned some key lessons um, that could probably be applied to the commercial space. Um, do you have any thoughts on how, you know, what you learned and experienced at the VA can be applied uh, to improve uh, virtual care for uh, and, and patient outcomes? Yeah, I entered the VA largely because of VA's inability to provide adequate access to veterans. Uh, veterans were waiting too long for care, many of them not able to frankly get the care that they had earned because of their service and their sacrifices. And so in order to solve that, dealing with all the issues that you mentioned, particularly workforce shortages, and the fact that many veterans live in rural settings out of choice, where you don't have many healthcare professionals at all, we relied heavily upon virtual care in order to improve wait times, to improve access. And, you know, I think part of what I learned, again, out of necessity, was that even though as the head of the agency, and having the ability to utilize federal supremacy, which means the ability of the federal government to go above state law. I still struggled uh, with this cross-licensure, cross-state issue, because when I tried to implement federal supremacy laws, the states challenged it. I ultimately needed to ask the president to personally intervene, which I did, and the president did intervene, and we were able to get federal supremacy so that VA was able to operate across all 50 states. And I saw the impact that had, that, that allowed us to match where we had health healthcare professional expertise to where veterans needed it throughout the country. And the playbook that we used in terms of this regulatory relief and being able to use telehealth in the way that I just described was actually the playbook that CMS used in the pandemic when they acted very quickly and decisively to uh, initiate this regulatory relief. They were able to follow the playbook that we did in the VA. And so I felt very comfortable that that was going to be very positive for the country because we had watched that several years earlier make such a big difference among our veteran population. Well, like you, I, I hope calmer heads prevail on the regulatory front. Um, it, you know, basically assuming that something does happen, um, well, how do you envision the future role of, of virtual care? Um, and what should healthcare providers do now to prepare to take more advantage of, of virtual care? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that virtual care is going to be a permanent and important part of the way that we deliver healthcare. Uh, still, unfortunately, access to care is a big issue. And uh, telehealth not only provides 
easier access to care and frankly, in many cases, more efficient access. But some of the models that I think are gonna develop are that it will allow an easier way to provide interdisciplinary or team-based care, which I think for many chronic illnesses is really an essential component that's missing from the healthcare model as we know it today. So imagine a primary care provider uh, taking care of their patient using a telehealth model. They need to bring in a behavioral healthcare provider, bring in a specialist into the, into the discussion, bring in uh, ancillary healthcare professionals, maybe addressing social determinants issues. And you can actually bring all those people together in a model much like you see happening in a Teams meeting or in a Zoom setting. And, uh, you know, even think about bringing the caregiver into the model, family members, peer support. So I think the future of telehealth is not only going to be to address access, but to really advance the model of care. And of course, I believe that you can also personalize uh, healthcare much easier using a virtual model, matching what the patient needs to the provider's competence, but also the type of provider, you know, whether it's to match gender, culture, uh, you know, educational backgrounds, so that patients get the type of experience that they feel that they do best with and that, frankly, that they deserve to have. So I, I think that we're just in the early phases of integrating technology into the patient care model. Of course, think about the implications of AI running in the background of telehealth sure. visits and bringing in information that both the provider and the patient should be aware of and you know new you know findings and new diagnostic and therapeutic opportunities that present themselves because of the artificial intelligence and you know the the natural language processing that can go on at the same time so so i think we are in the early innings um but that's not to say that virtual care is going to replace traditional care i think you know that we're really looking at a hybrid model i think that there are absolute times that uh, patients need to be physically examined by patients where touch is important where face-to-face -face interactions are going to be needed, where procedures are going to have to be done, lab tests and others that 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 you know will will need to be done in person. So I think the healthcare providers, the payers who think about integrated hybrid systems of care uh, are probably the ones that I think are headed in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned um, social determinants as definitely being a factor. You know the digital divide is is also a challenge, and and the, I guess the lack of trust in some communities of of healthcare systems and healthcare providers. What do you think you know virtual care can do in in improving the accessibility uh, and the equitable uh, distribution of healthcare for for those? Well, you know, look, um, I think that sometimes the uh, stereotypes of different people and their use of technology is probably beyond what the reality is. I, I I think that, you know, I hear people say that older people are technophobic and aren't using 
you know, smartphones and, and internet. And, you know, frankly, that's just not true. I, I, I think that um, people are uh, quickly adapting to the new world of technology and those that haven't, it's because they're not offered the opportunity to learn or, or to provide access, but there are many government programs providing significantly discounted access to internets or actually free. There are other health plans that are helping people connect uh, in a technical way. And, you know, you know, quite frankly, you know, and I don't mean this in a humorous way, but, you know, when I uh, am in, in many cities uh, and you see the significant issue with homelessness around the country, and of course, there are 45,000 homeless veterans, even many homeless people, you can see, have their smartphones with them. And it's, in fact, their right. only way that they can stay connected and um, and that and and frankly to reach them and for them to reach you know back into the medical system so so i think that technology it may not be the answer for everybody and and you know i think that a good healthcare system has to have numerous ways of communicating and interacting with their patients but i think technology really is increasingly uh, the important foundation in which to build future models of care based upon integrating technology. Sure. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, we've had a number of our customers implement tele telenursing programs. Um, and uh, what we're seeing, and it's a little bit surprising, is a huge uptick in patient satisfaction when they're in a hybrid care model. Um, and, and we dug into a little bit and it, it really seems to be because the virtual care giver has more time to spend in a face-to-face, -face, albeit through a, a video call, um, with the patient and the patients feel like they're um, getting more attention. Um, so do you, you know, what are your thoughts on that whole idea of improving quality of care in this hybrid model? Um, and what technology do you think will even enhance that more? Well, it, it doesn't surprise me that you're finding that there is an increased satisfaction with the customer experience. Uh, but look, you know, when people, particularly in hospital settings, need assistance, they, they frankly just want it to be, uh, you know, quick access to care, right? If you're trying to, you know, if you need, if you're in discomfort, if you need help with, with something, you don't want to be waiting as that call button goes off and, you know, five, 10 minutes go by because, you know, nurses or other people are busy with other patients that may need their help. So if the system provides you with more immediate access that can address your issue, uh, you know, frankly, that that is what people are going to describe as a better experience. And I do think that this hybrid model is really the way to do it. If you can get quick access to somebody to speak to them who can sort out whether you need somebody in your room at that time or whether, you know, the issue can be addressed, uh, you know, virtually, I think then um that really is the way to design the optimal type of patient experience 
So we, we talked a little bit about policymaker. If, if you had the opportunity to talk to lawmakers, what what would your what would your recommendations be? And hopefully you do have access to lawmakers and you're whispering in their ears. Um, you know what you know what types of things would you like to see happen that would really help us grow virtual care? Yeah, I tend to be uh, particularly when it comes to policy and 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 large scale government programs. I tend to be one who thinks about when you're going to legislatively change something, when you're going to put taxpayer resources into something, you should be looking for big, significant change, not incremental change. All of these bills that add a little tiny piece of improvement may be important, but I don't think that's the way, at least, that I approach government and legislation. So. When it comes to telehealth, I, I'm actually in favor of starting with the patient. What does the patient need? How do you provide them the right type of medical care and access? And that would mean, quite frankly, the way that I put it together, that all of these state regulatory requirements, separate licensing requirements, um, you know, separate state restrictions, uh, frankly, don't serve the patient very well, and in fact, uh, represent barriers to the delivery of care. So I would go for a design of a system that actually says, let's put first what the patient needs, and let's put second the protection of the current business models and the protection of state rights. Now, look, I, I'm, I'm a, not a constitutional scholar, but I understand the the architects of the of the Constitution inherently wanted there to be state federal tension, so that there wasn't a uh, centralization of power among the federal government. And I understand that. But you know, healthcare, I think one can argue should be somewhat different. And you know, if somebody is not able to get access to care, whether it's behavioral care or specialized medical care, because there aren't professionals. I hate to see state regulatory requirements uh, in place that, frankly, I view as mostly protectionism of current business models. So I'm I'm more in favor of radical change. But you know, one thing you learn when you spend time in Washington, uh, you can't you can't always get your way. And compromise, which is a dirty word in Washington, in my mind, is still the only way to govern. You never get your way completely. So you do look for those opportunities to support the bills that will get you the most bang for the buck, which means make the most difference for patients. And it probably won't be a wholesale elimination of states' rights. I think that's probably unrealistic. But you know what I like that I'm seeing are the uh, PACs, the, the uh, consortiums of state licensing you see it, the psych pack happening right, for yeah. psychologists. You see the nursing packs that are happening. There are some medical licensing packs, although they are very burden, complicated, burdensome, difficult to use. I think they can be improved. Um, and I think that telehealth, frankly, can be an exception uh, to many of the regulations you know that we've had. And CMS has implemented a number of them, but I think there are others that are important for us to look at as well. Sure. Well, that's great. And 
David, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this has really hopefully been insightful for folks who are going to watch the podcast. Um, you know, it, this is such an important topic. You know, we've been helping customers uh, and, and our philosophy is, is get care to wherever the patient is. And it sounds like that's what you propose as, as far as far as the lawmakers are concerned. And, and I hope they they listen to that. And I hope we get, you know, some movement this year. So thank you very yeah, much for I, joining I, the podcast. I appreciate it. No, uh, listen, thank you. I think I think your comments right there are exactly right. This has never really been a technologic issue. And certainly with what you describe, I'm confident that the technology is there. This is really something that is more us challenging ourselves. Can we do better for patients? And do we have the courage to take the steps necessary to do that? But um, this is very possible to do in the near future. And, you know, I appreciate all the work that you and Care Jilly are doing to advance the model of care. Thank you very much.